Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson. You say you want some revelation. Well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, welcome back, brothers and sisters. It's time for another weekly Mormon news roundup where Dives and Al ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. We have a very special episode this week, um, and it's not just because uh, my co-host Dives is uh, off on the other side of the world. He's uh, currently in England going uh, to, um, let's see, he went to a, a, a wedding for uh, one of his family members, so... Um, we're excited for him that he gets to go and travel the world, but also uh, that's not what, what makes this episode so special. What's so special is this is the episode where I have our own sponsor from Signature Books, Devery Anderson on, and he's uh, we're going to do a little interview with him. He's decided to join us, and uh, you know we're going to show him how we do things here at the Weekly Mormon News Roundup. So thank you very much, Devery, for coming on and joining us this week. Oh, happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah. All right, so um, uh, just to go over some of the things we're going to talk about this episode, uh, you know, after we uh, do our interview with Devery, we're going to uh, discuss uh, some of the different uh, highlights of the week, which is a hashtag Safe Church, Safe Children petition, and uh, this has been released in hopes to protect LES children from potential abuse uh, due to, um, let's see, an article that we actually reported on a few weeks ago. In fact, I think it's been a couple months now. Um, in Minnesota, there was a, uh, a, a sexual predator that actually was able to pray again because the church didn't do um, the any uh, background check on him. So that's what this petition's all about. Also, we're going to go and talk about how the Orem, Utah Temple had caught fire this past week during construction. And we're going to look into that a little bit and see uh, if it was nefarious or, or if it was just an accident, because sometimes these things do happen during construction. Um, also, we're going to talk about the Pioneer Day and Mormon Pioneer history that we don't talk about anymore. And uh, we got much, much more coming. So um, feel free to come and join up with us. Uh, we're at mormonnewsroundup.org. Uh, you can email us direct at collab at mormonnewsroundup.org. Um, we're also available on Twitter. We, you come see our Patreon or Facebook, and we're also on YouTube. So um, <clears throat> let's see. We've got, uh, all right, just going through the notes here. All right, so um, we've uh, got Devery Anderson, uh, and he is, let's see, what, what's your position with Signature Books, Devery? I'm the marketing uh, manager, marketing director at Signature Books. All right, and we certainly appreciate you uh, partnering with us. Um, so I, I guess, um, uh, first off, let's start with some of the the other things. Uh, let's see, you, you just came back from the Sunstone Conference. Uh, that's usually held in uh, Utah over the last couple of days. Um, so how did that go? It went well. I spent most of the time at the Signature Books table uh, showing and talking about our books and selling them, them to people who were interested. And so my experience was for the most part out in the display area and talking to a lot of people who came by to visit. <laughs> so I didn't get to really see uh, any of the sessions. Oh, you didn't? Oh, that's a shame. Yeah, I, I would love to go to Sunstone someday. I, 
I've never uh, like had the opportunity and it just seems like, you know, it always falls during your work week. So unless you have uh, some sort of ties to it, it seems like it's, you, you got really arranged to be there. So I, I do hope to meet up with you there someday though. That'd be um, great. Uh-huh. Yeah. So d- do you make a lot of contacts down at Sunstone? Uh, yes, we, uh, over the years, it's, it's been good. We, uh, I mean, typically I like to attend some sessions and if there are some, uh, papers that either could be developed into a book or perhaps the, uh, presenter is planning to do a book, we like to see if they'd be interested in, in publishing those with signature. So that's always on our mind while we're there. And, and that has happened. We've had people come to the table. In fact, I had some this year come by and pitch some ideas and I sound, they sounded like books we would want. Uh, so just ask them to send us a proposal when the time comes, when they're ready to publish. And wow. then we'll go from there and see, you know, if, if everything holds up well and the scholarship is good and thoughtful. Mm-hmm. And so we make those kinds of contacts seem like each time yeah, we have to weed sure. through some of those. They're not always stuff that we would publish, but, uh, mm-hmm but there's a steady stream uh, at least of interest. And uh, of course I love seeing people I haven't seen uh, for a while. Sometimes I only see them at Sunstone. So I have friends I see once a year. Some of them show up also at the Mormon history association or John Whitmer. So uh, some we see more often than others, but it's, it's great to socialize and great for business as well. Yeah. I'm I'm sure that a lot of those uh, circles intersect at different places too. Right. Uh, so one of your uh, famous books is about famous, or about Emmett Till. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about Emmett Till? Well, yes. Emmett Till was a 14-year-old African-American uh, youth who uh, lived in Chicago, but he had family in Mississippi. So in 1955, he went uh, by train from Chicago to Mississippi, to, along with a great uncle and a, and a cousin, and they went down to the intent was for him to spend the last two weeks of his summer vacation in Mississippi. Uh, he got into trouble being from the North and not understanding the ways of the South. He, uh, when one evening after picking cotton with the, his cousins and great uncle, uh, they went into a, a small country store just to get some refreshments. He bought some bubble gum, but uh, he, uh, he was, he was a show off type kid who liked attention and that. And, he said or did something inside the store to a to bought, to offend the woman behind the counter, a 21-year-old woman named Carolyn Bryant. It was probably something very minor on his part that he just thought was funny. Uh, yeah, but yeah. her being from the South thought differently. She yeah. followed him out of the store, and outside he waved and said goodbye instead of goodbye, ma'am, which upset her. And then he whistled at her, gave her a wolf whistle. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, it was a, a taboo thing to do uh, yeah. at the time. And so uh, the woman's husband and half-brother found out about it, uh, her husband's half-brother. Uh, mm-hmm. Three days later, they, they kidnapped him at gunpoint in the middle of the night, oh, took him out to the Tallahatchie. Well, took him to a shed in a neighboring town, beat him, uh, shot him, and then threw him in the Tallahatchie River and weighed his body down with a 75-pound cotton gin fan. Uh, his body surfaced. Um, the men were arrested on kidnapping. Once the body surfaced, they were arrested. They were charged with murder. They went on trial a few weeks later. 
but an all-white, all-male jury uh, acquitted them. Mm-hmm. So it set off a protests all over the the, the world, really. Yeah, and it was a very f- famous case that uh, because of the tragedy involved with Emmett Till and his mother when she mm-hmm. saw what they had done to him. And yeah. when they sent the body back to Chicago, she insisted on an open casket funeral. And so that gave the case mm-hmm. national publicity. The trial and the acquittal gave it international publicity. Yeah. And it was a it was a case that really uh, propelled, uh, as the subtitle of my book goes, propelled the civil rights movement. Yeah. And uh, it's still talked about today. It's in the news quite often still. And mm-hmm. my book was the basis for a uh, miniseries recently that ran on ABC called Women of the Movement. Yeah. And it was about it was a six-part series about the Emmett Till case. And uh, I got to go and actually be in it, too, um, as I played a juror. Uh, because they held the trial in the original courtroom, and I wanted to be a part of that and see oh, really? that take place as it did. And I felt like I went back in time, and I'll it was bet. a great experience. <laughs> the show is currently streaming on Hulu for anybody who wants to see it. It's called it, Women it, of the Movement. Women of the Movement, absolutely. Go and go and check that out. I'll be looking for you, Devery, in the jury in the juror box. Okay. All right, episodes four, five, and six, you'll see me there. <laughs> yeah, well, th- this is definitely a compelling story. And as you were relaying it, I, I realized, yeah, I've heard this uh, story several times. And uh, I knew that name was very familiar. So now I put the link between the two. Um, what sparked your interest in research and writing? Well, I'd as far back as I can remember, I loved to write. When I was an adult with small children, this was pre-internet, bought my first computer and I was determined to write. I forgot what it was like now to be on a computer when there was no <laughs> internet access. I think I brought up WordPerfect and would sit and stare at the screen and think, I want to write, but what am I going to write about? Mm-hmm. I think at first I wanted to write fiction. I think I had an idea for a novel in mind, but I would attempt it and nothing would happen. But I just, I had this desire, uh, but no, no real path to do it. And I think I just didn't, I, I just didn't know what I was doing. I, I wanted mm-hmm. something, but had no clue what to do. And in time I realized that I was more interested in historical research and writing. And, and that all began in the summer of 95. Uh, and then I, I, I signed up on the internet with those after having received an America online disc in the mail way mm-hmm. back then. And, uh, signed on to the internet. And over the years, of course, that's been uh, what's aided me to, to research, but as well as in person and archives and that. But once I had an actual idea in mind of what to, what to write about, and I saw that it was consuming me, um, I just followed that path uh, based on, on something that just clicked. And, and I've had other ideas since then, but whenever it was with varying degrees of enthusiasm, but once something clicks in my head, I always know I'm going to follow through on that. I just, something just happens where it's like, wow, this is your next project. And, and that's, that's how I proceed now. But um, it all started with my interest in, uh, I mean, I've had the interest in Mormon history and I've done, I've been an editor or co-editor of four books on, on Mormon history, a three volume uh, set on the history of temple worship in the LDS church and yeah, yeah. also the minutes of the Salt Lake School of the Prophets. Those are my four so far mm-hmm. Mormon 
related books. I'm writing a biography of Willard Richards that I've been working on for a long time, and I'll, I'll have that done next year. And I'm also doing a biography of Bruce R. McConkie for mm-hmm. a small series, a short series. And I mean, it's an ongoing series of biographies, but they're short, brief biographies to give people mm-hmm. a chance to read and get a good overview of someone's life. They can read it in a couple of days or so. And my Bruce Armour Conkey volume is going to fit in that series. Mm-hmm. But my my interest in the civil rights movement began really with my interest in, in Mormon history there, uh, my interest in the black uh, priesthood ban, yeah, uh, yeah. priesthood and temple ban. And I became fascinated with that, especially when I, I researched or read what scholars had written, that there was no real basis for it. There was no revelation. I didn't go all the way back to mm-hmm. Cain and Abel and blacks were not uh unvaliant in the pre-existence or cursed and it was such a, a load lifted off of me to to not feel like i had to really believe those things and i kind of wanted to shout on from the rooftops to everybody who'd listen about the real story behind the priesthood ban and that mm-hmm. that began it and then i just over time developed an interest in the larger african-american experience and Hence my book on Emmett Till as a result. Mm-hmm. And I just finished one on a figure named Clyde Kennard, and that'll be out in the spring. Oh, good. We look forward to reading about that one too. Yeah. Um, so uh, with uh, regards to sign- signature books, um, what is the like the purpose of signature books? What's what's kind of their mission in, uh, in publishing? Well, it, you know, it was founded in 1981 as a way to give voice to authors whose books uh really at the time wouldn't have found a home elsewhere. Back in 1972, the church uh, commissioned a 16 volume sesquicentennial history of the church that would be ready by 1980. And Leonard J. Arrington oversaw that project, but uh, because there were scholars, serious scholars involved, and they were going to touch on some controversial areas of church history because this was uh, they had set out to have a very serious, thoughtful series mm-hmm. uh, that would really tell the truth about church history. It made some of the brethren nervous, and so the project got canceled. And uh, the authors were left, if they wanted to publish the books on their own, and some did through other publishers. Uh, they were mm-hmm. going to come out through Des- Deseret Book. Some came out through a University of Illinois. Signature Books mm-hmm. published one. Deseret Book did publish uh, one or two as well. But most okay. of them were never written. But Signature Books came along because I think the, the time the founders of Signature Books were upset that these this project got canceled and they oh. wanted to be a home for this type of research and writing. And that's what it's been over the years. In the 40 years since, yeah. we've published some of the best stuff, uh, biography, history, documentary mm-hmm. history, poetry and yeah. fiction, um, mm-hmm. all of that. If, if it's a scholarly work on Mormons, Utah and the West, um, then we want it. And yeah. uh, we've got competition as well, but mm-hmm. now and, and more than we had then, but we're still around oh, and still want to publish sure. the best in those areas. And that's what, that's our purpose. Yeah. And uh, how long have you been with Signature Books? Um, September 1st, it'll be 11 years. Oh my, long timer. Yeah, it feels like it just was yesterday that I started, but yeah, it's yeah. been a while now. So. It sounds like you really enjoy uh, your purpose, and it sounds like you're a really good fit for uh, the purpose that Signature Books is about. And, uh, you know, I, I really hope that, uh, you know, as you get into our podcast, you'll see that uh, 
our purpose uh, with this podcast is very much aligned uh, with that. Um, I, I know that you uh, um, sponsored uh, the uh, a previous podcast, um, uh, the Mormon Newsroom, I think it was, or <clears throat> no, what was it? Uh, uh, I think that's what it was called. Yeah, um, something like that. But um, yeah, pretty much our, our purpose is to uh, uh, just take uh, head on all of the topics that relate to Mormonism. Uh, some of that's promotional. Uh, some of that is uh, detracting. Some of it is critical. Um, but, you know, we, we don't really shy away from it. Uh, the good, the bad, or the ugly. We'll, we'll uh, take a look at it and, and see where it stands with regards to everything. Um, yeah. So and it's we all really part appreciate of, you It's all part of it. It all needs to come out and then mm -hmm. just let the chips fall where they may and then figure out what it all means from there yeah. and i think that's that's important yeah um so now uh, signature's uh, latest book is lighthouse uh, gerald and sandra tanner despised and beloved critics of mormonism uh this is an excellent uh, book that i would love to get into uh so uh, what can you tell us about this uh this work well this is a, an important one and i think some people will look at it and think oh signature's anti-mormon now because you're giving voice or support to Gerald and Sandra Tanner or whatever they might want to think. And that's not it at all. And one thing I've, I've learned over the years that uh, I didn't really know Gerald. I'd met him a few times, but he, you know, he died in 2006 and in the yeah, last yeah. 15, 16 years or so uh, I've come to know Sandra better because she's a Facebook friend. And then of course, mm -hmm. uh, interviewing her for our podcast as well. Yeah. And you know, her. I'm very, very nice, very good person. And, uh, and so that's important for people to understand whether you agree with what they're what they do or what they've devoted their lives mm -hmm. to doing. Um, yeah. There's still the person there that's um, very good, very good. People can be great even if you yeah. don't agree with what they do, and that's a great example of that. Plus, what they do, you can't examine Mormonism for the last you know half century, more than that. Now their work started around 1960. True. Uh, you can't examine that without dealing with the Tanners because mm -hmm. they made Mormon history, Mormon history, Mormon documents and Mormon publications that were long forgotten mm -hmm. or inaccessible. They made those available. So Mormon yeah. scholars have utilized them over the years as mm -hmm. the source to get hard to find publications. Uh, most yeah. of those are available now you know, online and maybe they took their copies and digitized them. Who knows? But yeah. Um, Plus, you know, they've been very critical of the church. They've written books, you know, before there was the CES letter, there was Mormonism, Shadow or Reality. Their, yep, yep. their uh, big, I can't remember how many pages, five, 600 page book. Yeah. And uh, very hard hitting. I mean, you had to deal with mm -hmm. the stuff that they brought up. And yeah, yeah. when people just dismiss critical books as, oh, this is just full of lies. Um, you have to really go in and, and read it and research it and realize that, no, that's not the case. Now, yeah, maybe yeah. the same conclusion doesn't have to always be reached, but you at least have sure, to acknowledge sure. the accuracy and then go from there. But uh, their work was has been important for that reason. Gerald Tanner knew, you know, was able to discover on his own that uh, the Salamander letter, the creation mm -hmm. by Mark Hoffman, was a forgery. Yeah, when, yeah. Uh, church leaders and and scholars who are really examining the handwriting maybe more than the actual content and how it may have uh, been familiar with other stuff. That's what Gerald was able to see. That's how he understood it was a forgery. 
the Mormon scholars are focusing on the handwriting and that uh, to determine that, yes, uh, Martin Harris wrote this or Joseph Smith wrote that. And so they were the ones that knew that it was a forgery and the church was saying it wasn't, or at least mm-hmm. was leading that strongly that it was and that it probably yeah, was. Yeah. And we're trying to um, do damage control uh, as yeah, a result yeah. of that. And so they've been an important influence. They've been an important presence. And so it's important to get to know, see who they really were and or really are. Sandra's still yeah, around, yeah. still running the, the Utah Lighthouse Ministry. So it's a book that you know, I'm proud that we published. Um, mm-hmm. And it shows that Signature isn't afraid to shy away from that yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of thing. And we recognize the importance of it. And that's the main thing. And I'm very glad that you do. I, I have a lot of respect for the Tanners. Um, the, the thing about the Tanners that's always impressed me is that they're so committed to the truth or accuracy. You know, that, uh, you know, it, you can, you can uh, call their, their uh, works anti-Mormon lies, but you're going to have a devil of a time trying to prove them wrong. Right. Because mm-hmm. they're, they're just that committed to the truth, whether wherever it lies, you know. And there are some things, you know, that uh, I remember when I started reading Shadow Reality years ago. Um, I think the first chapter talked about Mormons and moon men. And did Joe Smith believe in moon men? And, and I thought there were some good responses to that particular issue that they didn't examine that as well as they could have. And that, that uh, other sources really shed light on, on that. So there are issues like that. Those are pretty minor ones. But, you know, their, their work wasn't always right. Uh, but for the most part, I think uh, the issues that they raised were valid. Uh, the documentation behind it, you know, it, you, you can't ignore it. And you have to be able to... Uh, uh, approach it in such a way that if you want to stay in or stay believing, um, you have to do it from an informed uh, perspective. And if you don't, then, you know, you're just embarrassed yourself. Exactly. Uh, if you try yeah. to respond to that kind of thing without at least knowing. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there's certainly, I, there's plenty of uh, members of the church that stay uh, with the church and they just kind of reinvent their relationship with yeah, I mean, a lot of scholars who stay yeah. in know these issues, and yeah, they, but they have to admit that, you know, Joseph, mm-hmm. you know, they, they usually preface it with problems mm-hmm. Joseph had, or they acknowledge yeah. that you can't look at Joseph, uh, the Book of Mormon, or the brethren then or now as infallible, and yeah. or even as you, you really have to reevaluate it all and come to a new understanding, or you simply are. Um, yeah, it seems like you just uh, got your head in the sand and you can still, yeah. I think a lot of people would argue that even to stay in at all, you'd have to have your head in the sand, but um, at least, you know, be informed and this but, thing you have yeah. to be, you have to deal with the tanners. I think anybody that's uh, looking to, to learn more and more about the church is going to sooner or later have to take off um, the uh, rose colored glasses that, uh, that, you know, we used to see the church through and just start to look at it uh, through a harder line and understand that there's a One lot thing of thing I'm grateful about, and I don't know how my life would have been different, but when I read the Tanners, it was in the late 80s, early 90s, when there wasn't the internet, when I read Shadow Reality. Yeah, and it was nice to be able to read it without a lot of people just pecking yeah. at me from uh, you know online mm-hmm. that I didn't have to worry about. I didn't have a million voices coming out. I could just you know look mm-hmm. at it and study it on my own. I think it'd be, it's harder to do now because there's so many people, uh, you know, 
harping at you online that influence your thinking or that, you know, create a bias for you. And mm-hmm. I, I felt like I, I was able to do that and come out with a healthy, healthier, uh, at least, uh, perspective than I would have had, had I had social media at the time. So mm-hmm. to me, that was a plus. Maybe, maybe it's yeah, not, yeah. maybe it's not for everybody, but for me, it was a plus. Oh, for I sure. It, it seems like nowadays, like nowadays uh, uh, there is quite a fight online, online um, both on sides of it. Of it. There's yeah. Uh, because yeah, you get it from people who haven't read a thing. Around. You know, I see people who are outside the church that haven't read much, people who are inside that haven't read much, and mm-hmm. neither one of them, uh, they have nothing to tell me. <laughs> yeah, and then yeah, there's nowhere there's to meet in the middle for them, is there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, uh, you know, one of the things that we've been, uh, uh, you know, pitching on our uh, podcast is uh, this uh, book by Romney Burke about um, Susie Young Gates, the daughter of Mormonism. Uh, uh, do you want to walk us through that one a little bit? Yes, it's a very important book. Um, surprisingly, surprisingly, there had never been a, a full-length biography on her. There have been mm-hmm. articles, and there was a, a master's thesis or, or a dissertation, uh, one of the two, on her. But now we have a full-length published book, and it's important. Brigham Young had a, you know 56 children, yeah, and there are only a handful that you can name. Um, mm-hmm. Brigham Young Jr. Um, mm-hmm. and the others right now escape me besides Susa. Susie Young Gates yeah. is another. Um, she's mm-hmm. very important because she was, um, you know, she was born through one of the plural wives, mm-hmm. and uh, she became very prominent in the church, and and she. Her life spanned the late 19th and, and early 20th century, so she was around for some of her contemporaries were, you know, B.H. Roberts and others who uh, who lived in that period, and so she was able to see the church uh, change, and she also was, I mean, she within the church, she was important because she was the founder of the Relief Society magazine and the Young Women's yeah, yeah. Journal and had <laughs> several articles in both of those, and she published several novels i think she published poetry she was a co-author of um the life of brigham young with mm-hmm. her daughter and uh and that was a, a a well-known book it's been reprinted um several times i believe over the years but and she was also at byu she was she's to this day she's still the longest serving member of the board of trustees oh, really? at brigham young university but she was popular. She was well known outside of Mormonism as well because she was yeah, she yeah. was active in the suffrage movement. Yeah, yeah. She, she, she knew people like Susan B. Anthony and others, yeah, yeah. and was very um, influential there. Uh, she joined the uh, National Women's Council. That's where she uh, came to know Susan B. Anthony and and others as well. But uh, so she had her life within the church that was very important and she was prominent outside the church. She was, and plus through all this, she was a daughter of Brigham Young. And so that, uh, that gave her uh, a voice as well. That it probably provided a bit of a path for her too, that she wouldn't have had otherwise, but her life was difficult as well. She, she was, had uh, been married once and that marriage ended in divorce and it was a very painful one for her. She never even talked about, never mentioned his name after their divorce. Yeah. And uh, she lost several of her children. Um, I think eight. Eight oh children. She she bore a, a, at least, a, I think it was 12 or, I think it was 13 children that she bore. Oh and eight of them died. And oh uh, she Most also had, um, you know, 
health problems as well. And yeah, yeah. Uh, but she um, she was just very important. And it's nice that, and we want more work like this. There's so many important women in the church in church history that, uh, and we've seen a lot of things over the last few years. The the diary series that USU Press has published with. I don't know, a dozen or more uh, diaries, annotated diaries of Mormon women. That's been, yeah, yeah. you know, an important uh, contribution. But we, we need to see more biographies. We need to see their yeah, lives yeah. Uh, play out and, and understand the, the contribution they made and how important they were. And I'm, and for this, it's, it's kind of a first for us in a lot of ways, uh, sadly. Uh, we'd like to see more of this, and hopefully this will... Uh, be the beginning, the Susie Young Gates of much more on women's history and, and biography. And I'd love Signature to be the publisher of the best of that. Yeah, let's, yeah, hope, let's so. hope so. Uh, there's a, certainly a handful of very notable women throughout um, LDS history, and not just Emma Smith, but like Eliza R. Snow is another big name. Um, yeah. Susie Young Gates. Uh, yeah, more uh, pre- uh, more uh, modern, I would, should say, is Sherry Dew. You know, uh, there's plenty of stories out there, and we would love to look forward to hearing a lot more of those in the future. And so much really started uh, with with the scholarly and modern uh, biography writing with uh, Mormon Enigma, which is almost now 40 years old, mm-hmm. the biography of Emma Smith, which for a lot of people it would have been tempting still, even though it was about her, to write it through Joseph, to have Joseph be the prominent character. That, mm-hmm. there, there, that would have been how a lot of biographers would have done it. But yeah, uh, yeah. Linda Newell and Val Avery were determined that it not be, that you not come away seeing Joseph as the prominent character, that this is a biography of Emma and it needs to be her story. Good and uh, they did it well. And uh, that I think was such a turning point. And mm-hmm. I wish we, I wish it would have resulted in just a, um, an avalanche uh, of women's stories being written since then. But uh, there've been some, but certainly needs to be a lot more. So maybe the Susie Young yeah, Gates yeah. one will be the, 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 the new turning point for all yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Let's, Let's see if we can get, get the wheels turning on that wagon a little bit faster. That'd be great. Be great. Um, um, let's see. So, so how's, how's the reception the been uh, for uh, this for book about, about Susie Young Gates? Gates? So far, it's been very well, and so far, we've just really heard from people who've read it, who who really liked it. Um, it's it just came out in the last couple of months, and so I haven't seen reviews yet. I think I've seen a, I have seen a couple of online reviews on some uh, blogs, um, waiting for to see them begin to be published in the in the scholarly journals. Uh, but I'm uh, so far, uh, people have liked it, and and the people who told me they've read it. Um, I've really liked it. And the author, Romney Burke, did a great job on it. He's a, he's not a descendant, uh, but his wife is, I believe, a great granddaughter of yeah. Young Gates. And so he, and they've been married for, I think they got married in the late 60s. Yeah. And, and so I, he's had, I think he was a doctor. What's that? I'm sorry. I, I believe I, he, he was, was a doctor. doctor. Yeah. He practiced uh, in, Portland, Oregon, for years. Mm-hmm. He's retired. He uh, he's a urologist mm-hmm. and uh, retired, but then he's got been on a couple of missions. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, he wrote this book right before he and his wife went to Korea on a mission, mm-hmm. and their mission was delayed some because of COVID. So they were in town uh, 
dealing with our editor while they were actually missionaries. I think they were staying near Temple Square or something, just waiting to be able to go. And they finally went and they got back last year. And so we timed the book to come out after they got back so that he could speak and about it and uh, help uh, market it. And um, so he, uh, um, he, 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 for years, I think his wife told him stories and plenty of, uh, and to, to gain interest for him. And so he determined years ago that he would do this book and finally did it. And then one of the things that helped him was that, uh, Susan Young Gates papers, which everyone thought didn't exist or were lost, were found in a relative's garage. Basically, yeah. there are boxes and boxes. I mean, mm-hmm. just tons of stuff. And so that made it, that gave him the, you know, the material he needed to really make this what it needed to be. And so, uh, yeah, she was that's the, the writer, result of it all. And he did a great job. He's a good writer. Uh, he researched mm-hmm. it well and he was, it was sympathetic, but he didn't want to, sh- he didn't shy away from anything either. So. No, I uh, let's see. You, you gave us a, a pre-publication uh, uh, edition that we could uh, look through, and I'm, I made about uh, forty pages through before we timed out on that one. But boy, it's well written and uh, it's well researched. Um, and I guess it's a good thing that he didn't uh, handwrite it because you know doctors are notorious for their handwriting. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a good <laughs> point. It, it's well written. Yeah, it's it's a great piece of work. Um, yeah, so is, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share with us uh, before we get into the news? Or? Well, just that, uh, you know, the, the, uh, we, we have some other stuff coming out, a few more things, but by the end of the year, uh, D. Michael Quinn, who passed away last year, his family gave us permission to publish his memoir that he had written, oh, wow. and it was still on his computer, and... Uh, they were able to find it and get it to us, and that's being edited right now. And that'll be out uh, before the in the next few months, mm-hmm. and it's going to be good. There's a lot of good material in there. He, he's very candid about his life, mm-hmm. and so that'll be something people can look forward to. Pretty one cool. is we we if one of our most popular books was Todd Compton's book in Sacred Loneliness, mm-hmm. the Plural Wives of Joseph Smith, where he. Of the 33 women he believed at the time, uh, he may have found others or believe now others have a stronger case for being mm-hmm. wives. But there were 33 in his original book that he believed firmly were uh, Joseph had married. And so he gave biographical sketches of each woman. Well, his yeah. new book is called In Sacred Loneliness, The Documents, which he provides the primary source material f- for his book for oh, the different wow. women he wrote about. It's their diaries, I think letters and the stuff that comes directly from them. And that's been released on Kindle already. So you can buy it for $9.99 on Kindle. But the hard, the hardback was delayed because of some problems with the press and paper shortages and that. But that should be out in the next few months. And it'll it'll uh, it's a handsome volume that will uh, stand next to the original. They, they look like each other for the most part. And they, they go, that'll be out soon. Todd spoke about his that book yesterday at Sunstone, a popular session that a lot of people attended. So those are the ones that are you know coming out by the end of the year. Two of them anyway. We have Michael Hicks's uh, memoir. He was a reti- he's a retired BYU professor, just retired in the last uh, couple of years, and his memoir called Wineskin, Freaking Jesus in the '60s and '70s. I think that's the mm-hmm. title. I don't have it right. <laughs> that's and, a great um, title. So have a book by a, a member of the church. Uh, 
who has a new look at, uh, takes a new look at the great apostasy to have uh, encouraging people to have more uh, sympathy for the people who lived in that, in those dark ages that who didn't know anything and uh, mm-hmm. who are living in darkness. He kind of sheds different light on that, that well, maybe they weren't so bad. Yeah. So um, we've got that coming as well. Uh, these are the, the ones before the end of the year that we're looking forward to. And then we've got, we're lining up our calendar for next year, which I can't talk about yet, but there's, oh, Great stuff coming out. <laughs> Sounds like it. I mean, if, if that which you could share with us was just any kind of precursor, you've got some big things on the burner. <laughs> yes. And so people can just check out signaturebooks.com as often as they'd like. Uh, you can, and on the on our on our website, you can sign up to be on our newsletter to or on our mail list to learn about new releases, book signings, uh, all that type of thing. So if you yeah. want to sign up, just go to signaturebooks.com. For sure. Hey, thank you very much. And thank you to Signature Books for uh, sponsoring this podcast and, uh, you know, partnering with us and uh, as we discuss uh, all the things pertaining to Mormonism. So, yeah, thank you very much, Devery, for joining us this week. And uh, I guess with that, let's get to the news. Um, just one follow up from last week. We had the uh, the uh, re- revelation of a possible picture of uh, or daguerreotype of Joseph Smith was released. And um, the Deseret News is actually... Uh, kicking back a little bit and they're uh it's not let's see should we say like a a big kickback this is more like a let's say an opinion piece article that uh, is by tad walch from july 28th and he says that joseph smith headlines went too far and um he does a lot of criticism of things like newsweek or other publications that um we're, we're pretty quick to jump on it uh, to say, hey, you know, we found a picture of Joseph Smith, the the Mormon founder, um, that, you know, the first uh, actual picture that's ever been found of him. Well, they've had several pictures that have been found that were suspected of being him. But uh seems like, you know, when they've investigated these photographs over the years, um, none of them have turned out to be right. This one, um, this one's got a little bit more... Um, credibility to it or a little bit more to back it up as being legitimate um, based off of where it came from. It's uh, the history that it's got, uh, which the, the church is still skeptical, um, you know, because this is a rather common looking locket. And even though there's several prominent Smith women seen uh, in photographs wearing this locket throughout the years, it, um, you know, I, I guess it is possible that it could be a different locket that these women were wearing besides this. It's, you know, just kind of an average pocket uh, watch size locket. Nothing really um, stand out about it. But, uh, you know, the, the fact that it's just uh, come to light, um, I just it, it's kind of funny that uh, that they would criticize the um, the headline saying, well, that's just poor journalism to to use clickbait like that. I've seen the Deseret News use plenty of clickbait over the years. So, you know, they, they can kick back on it. That's all right. We'll, we'll find out. I mean, one way or another, I'm sure we'll figure out one day whether this uh, daguerreotype is legitimate or not. Uh, yeah. Yesterday at, at Sunstone, I talked to Locke McKay, who uh, you know, wrote the article in the John Whitmer journal mm-hmm. uh, about it. I asked him is, so what we, currently know right now is this what we're going to know and we just have to kind of give our best guess or is there more coming and he thinks there's a lot more coming now that it's out there um that there might be other sources that can uh shed light on it and and 
and more research to come. So we'll see what happens. I personally, when I saw the photo, I thought right away that, you know, wow, this looks like Joseph Smith to me. And I think it seems to resemble the death mask yeah. a lot to me. I didn't think, some people have thought it was, oh, it's got to be Hiram, but I don't see Hiram Smith in that at all myself. No, in the uh, death mask. I, uh, Hiram had more of like a, a square, more rugged features. Joseph right. seemed to have a little bit uh, more rounded and softer. And some sideburns too that were true prominent in the paintings. And yeah. those aren't there. And, uh, and so I, I'm leaning to, towards Joseph Smith, maybe because I've always been wanting to see a photo of him so bad that maybe mm -hmm. my enthusiasm is yeah. clouding other things. But I, I, when I look at that face on there, I just I see what mm -hmm. I've always thought from other, and it doesn't resemble the oil painting. But the oil painting no, doesn't no, resemble no. the death mask either. No, from, it doesn't for me. And so I don't worry that it doesn't look much like the oil painting, but. I'm leaning heavily that way, and I hope that I mm -hmm. that the more we learn, the more we can confirm. But I understand; I, I don't see that we can ever say that absolutely one hundred percent. But um, I, hope, I hope so. It'd um, be nice. I, yeah, yeah, I mean, I mean it, it would it be would, nice to know. And, and one of the, the things that clinchers for me is, is um, the commonalities between, between, say, the death mask, the, the, the portraits, and this new garotype, uh, uh, kind of the shape of the mouth. Uh, not, not necessarily, necessarily. I mean, the, the, the um, what, what should I say? Like the, the width of it is wider on the daguerreotype than it is, say, on the death mask than it is on the portrait. But the shape of it, very similar. The, um, the face lines, the, he's got that uh, furrow line in his brow that uh, is, you know, very, it's present in all of them. Uh, you know, the, kind of the, the rounded um, sides of his eyes. That's uh, present in all of them. It's just, you know, on, when it comes to the portrait, you're getting one artist's uh, interpretation, taking different elements and putting it together to see something that looks similar to his subject. Yes. So we'll see. It's been it's been fun having it there and to finally look at something that I think is a, you know, a photo of him been waiting yeah, yeah. decades for something like that. So. <laughs> well, for sure. And the, the contribution that Dibes wanted to uh, point out this week is, well, can't we just use Moroni's promise to confirm or deny the authenticity of the new Joseph Smith daguerreotype? Or does that only work with books and facsimiles? Oh, wait, wait. It definitely does not work on facsimiles. <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> We tend to not want to go out on a limb, you know, exactly you pray about the Book of Mormon. And it's always a subjective thing that works for you personally. But mm -hmm. we don't go out on a limb when it comes to evolution, declaring one thing one way or the other. Just if if homosexuality is something you're mm -hmm. born with, we and anything that we can come back and be embarrassed about later. Just one of those things that God's not ready to tell us now, maybe in the. Mm -hmm during the millennium or something. And so that's our out for everything, but <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay. Um, so um, now that we've got the follow-ups from last week out of the way, um, I'm going to lead off with the Mormon joke of the week. So uh, lucky for D -Vays, he, he had the joke last week. And uh, so we're back to my turn. And uh, this week's joke of the week comes out of Provo, Utah, where a bishop went into the ward uh, after meetings to where people were still kind of mingling around and hobnobbing together. And he decided he was going to try to, to make a, a, a good point. So Bishop Murray goes up to 
Brother Jenkins over there and says, Brother Jenkins, um, do you want to go to the Celestial Kingdom? And Brother Jenkins, of course, looks right back at Bishop Murray and says, of course I do. And he says, okay, then please go uh, stand next to the wall over there. And so Brother Jenkins obediently steps over next to the wall. And he goes over to Brother Johnson. Brother Johnson, would you like to go to the Celestial Kingdom? And Brother Johnson says, oh, absolutely, Bishop. He says, well, if you want to go to the Celestial Kingdom, if you really want to go to the Celestial Kingdom, you need to go stand over next to that wall by Brother Jenkins. So Brother Johnson obediently walks over there and stands next to Brother Jenkins, right, now, right up against the wall. So they're starting to line up. Well, then comes Brother O'Toole. Brother O'Toole come, uh, is kind of trying to hide a little bit. And the bishop says, Brother O'Toole, I see you trying to hide there. Would you like to go to the Celestial Kingdom? And Brother O'Toole says, well, uh, to be quite honest, Bishop, no, I would not. He says, Brother O'Toole, are you telling me that you do not want to go to the Celestial Kingdom? Brother O'Toole says, well, you mean ever or today? And the bishop says, well, I mean ever. He says, oh, well, in that case, yeah, I, I was just afraid that you were starting to take people right now. <laughs> so that's our Mormon joke of the week. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah that's kind of my first thought when he was asking them that, I think I was yeah, going to ask the same thing, actually. So Exactly. Bishop Murray, um, yeah, I don't know what his point was in trying to line people up. It's a joke. Yeah, we don't get to that part. <laughs> All right, so on to the news for the week. Um, the, big, uh, uh, the big topic this week is fire breaks out inside the Orem Latter-day Saint Temple. We're also going back to the Deseret News for this one. Um, where they've discussed um, Pat Reeve on July 26 reported that there was a fire that broke out on the third floor of the Orem Temple, which is currently under construction. The Orem Temple, I, as I, I recall, is being built just off of I-15 um, down by the University of Utah, or uh, the, sorry, Utah Valley University is what it is, yeah, <laughs> UVU. And uh, so while they've been under construction, it's been under construction for, I guess, about a year, but on, in a third floor, um, like custodial closet is where it, uh, the fire started and they're not really sure what happened with it. They're not, they're not really thinking it's arson, but they're not really saying either what it could be. I mean, it's certainly possible. Maybe, uh, somebody left a work lamp on some of those halogen work lamps. They burn rather hot. And if they're close to anything that's remotely combustible, it'll suck. It'll start a fire. It didn't really, you know, flare up quickly. It kind of was a slow burn that started and then gradually grew. And thankfully, people were able to uh, catch the fire in time. It didn't uh, spread too far or cause too much damage, but they are going to have to do a bunch of rework in there to get it fixed. Nobody was injured, thankfully. So, um, yeah. But it's, uh, yeah. I would think in the most heavily populated mormon town on the planet probably it's mm -hmm. if it was arson that would be uh something <laughs> well exactly <laughs> they, they would uh, like definitely report about that but they haven't ever really given a follow-up this week either and I, that's what really surprised me yeah, uh, yeah i'm guessing it was just an accident um yeah but, uh, i guess like another, the, another, yeah, the other yeah, provo temple now if uh that was a tabernacle that burned and they re refurbished it into a Temple, yeah, yeah. so if this one burns, they could refurbish it into a tabernacle, maybe. Yeah, for sure, for sure. 
So, you know, one way or another, they'll have something to do with the building. Um, but with regards to, like, that other news this week, there was um, several, like, I think on St. George it was, they had, like, eight LDS buildings that were uh, vandalized and damaged by, and, and you know, that's, they found the people that did those. But um, I'm a little surprised at the lack of follow-up on this one about the, the temple fire. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they just see it as nothing. I mean, if they got it out in time to not do much damage, if they think it was just an accident. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe and, and it yeah. Um, um, let's see. So let's the see. next so article I've got here is hashtag safe church, safe children petition. So, so this, this one, one is actually a, a, from a Google, a Google box. Um, and they're starting a petition regarding this, um, Elders Court president, president that was called, called in, in uh, Minnesota, Minnesota for heaven's sake. My mind's drawing a blank, drawing a blank for so much today so again. again. So, so this uh, gentleman, um, his name is Michael Adam Davis. He, he joined the LDS, LDS Church, Church in Cassin, Minnesota. Minnesota. He, was he was a registered sex, sex offender, but the LDS, LDS Church doesn't, doesn't uh, do background checks when they do callings. And, and as a result, he was able to pray upon one of the congregation members. And so there's a lot uh, going on there to see what kind of uh, liability the church has, what kind of liability, uh, say, the, the local bishop has, um, and how much the state has versus how much this uh, personal guy has. I mean, he's... He's supposed, he's supposed to report, report that he's a sex offender if he's on the registry. So, um, it's, it's, you know, the, this, this petition, petition is, is it's, got it's got a few stated, stated purposes. purposes. Um, it says, the purpose of the petition, first, to request two changes from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or the LDS Church. One, complete criminal background checks on all members serving in any leadership or volunteer position. Two, follow state-mandated reported laws, uh, which is something that the LDS Church really uh, hasn't had to do very much um, with regards to, like, uh, clergy. There's the Priest Penitent Act that uh, they've uh, kind of hidden behind to avoid having to uh, follow through with mandatory reporting. Uh, so uh, then the second purpose of this is to propose a Minnesota state law that requires faith-based nonprofit organizations to complete criminal background checks on all of their leaders, volunteers, and staff. So I think that this uh, has a lot of potential uh, to be uh, a good change if they can get this push forward. Well, it seems <coughs> that they should. Yeah, I, I can't imagine why not. And and it saves so much potential damage to. If you're working with youth, um, if you're working with it, I mean, a, a bishop is going to have you know, be working with youth behind closed doors and interviews yeah. and that type of thing. Uh, there's the youth programs. There's so many people that work with youth within mm -hmm. the church and you pretend, you know, and any calling you have a yeah. chance to really, there's, there's areas that there's moments I should say where mm -hmm. um, you, that they would want to know about anybody and they should want to know about anybody and, and they should be willing to do that. I, I think this whole, mm -hmm. pro, the whole process of, of uh, selecting people for callings and that, you know, a church leader will tell you, well, we, we do interviews with people. We do our part to study things out in our mind and then ask God if it's right. 
And I would think a background check would be part of that studying things out prior mm-hmm. and weed out people. Then you don't even have to try to pray about it. So I think um, that's just a given. And mm-hmm. and those things can be conducted so quickly and so well now that uh, yeah, it's just a no-brainer. Absolutely. So, I mean, really, uh, Devery, can you think of any downside of, uh, of a petition like this gaining footing? I don't see it. I mean, I see that there might be, I mean, I think anytime there's any kind of pressure from mm-hmm. anyone that there's this desire to resist it. Um, yeah. But I don't see any, I don't see any downside from implementing it. Me I just either. see there, there may be, you know, some resistance just because, well, we didn't think of it. Others are telling us that's what we need to do. And yeah. we run things our way and we know better. There exactly. might be that, but there's certainly not a downside to implementing it. Yeah. I mean, certainly there's going to be kickback. There always is kickback, but yeah, I really, the more I look at it, I think, well, you know, there's not really any downside here of, of making these steps. It just makes kids safer. And I think that's something I can certainly support. <coughs> no, excuse me. I've got a dry throat here. Um, so our next article, moving right along, comes from utahstories.com. The title is Pioneer Day and Mormon Pioneer History They Don't Talk About. And uh, this is from July 24, 2022 by Richard Markosian. And his um, his whole stand, uh, stance on this is he goes back and gives us a, a bit of a history tour through what happened between Missouri, um, actually maybe even going back as far as Kirtland, but mostly from Missouri to Nauvoo to out west, what was the whole purpose in Brigham Young leading the Saints out west? And uh, why were they kicked out of Missouri? Was it uh, due to persecution? Was it due to um, the uh, extermination order by uh, Lilburn Boggs? You know, uh, who uh, shortly after that extermination order, uh, well, shortly, I mean, within a few years, uh, I can't remember the timeline for sure. uh, I'm going to have to just uh, mark this one for a follow-up next week uh, to see when uh, Porter Rockwell supposedly went and made an attempt on Lilburn Boggs' life. Uh, Shot four times in the throat, the neck, and uh, the body. But he he survived, uh, pulled through. That was kind of remarkable, actually. Um, So there was a lot of, uh, you know, there there was a lot of fighting on both sides of this issue. And uh, so when it comes to the pioneer stories and, you know, all of the, the trekking West and what was the purpose behind it. They were going to Mexican territory to get out of the clutches of the United States government, which really hadn't given them a lot of sympathy um, with regards to uh, Joseph Smith being murdered in Carthage jail. Um, you know, Joseph Smith actually had uh, the largest militia in the Western United States at the time under his command there in Nauvoo, the, the Nauvoo Legion, really big, sizable army. And he was the commander of it. And uh, so it was, you know, at his disposal, if he didn't want to go to Carthage, he didn't have to. But he did, and that's where history led us. So uh, this article is a, a very different perspective on what pioneer history uh, really is versus, um, you know, a bunch of hand carts rolling into the Salt Lake Valley in 1847, which the handcarts didn't even come till much later, really. So it's well, a, a couple of th- things mm-hmm. in this that I kind of wondered about, though. I um, yeah, like is the consensus that uh, 
uh, Porter Rockwell made this attempt. I know, I'm not sure if all historians agree on that. I, I think no. the article makes it sound like it's a given, but yeah. I think there's still a lot. Yeah. And that really, by the time Joseph was incarcerated in Carthage, mm -hmm. that was, I think that was settled like the year before, a year and yeah. a half before he died. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. January of 43, I think, is when it was kind of thrown out. Yeah. I'm not sure if that ever, I mean, I, I know the, the treason, well, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the Nauvoo expositor, the destruction of the Nauvoo mm -hmm. expositor. And then uh, he was charged with treason, which the governor mm -hmm. didn't even really find that a very, because of calling out mm -hmm. the, the militia yeah. uh, mm -hmm. against the state militia. But Governor Ford thought that the saints had a reason at least to be fearful. I don't yeah. think he thought much of the treason charge, but uh, mm -hmm. others who introduced it did but i think i'm not sure how much i th i think the bogs thing wasn't really a part of this by the time Joseph no. you, you make a really good point on that too devry is that this guy um that wrote this article makes a lot of um assertions that really haven't been proven you know like that there is speculation behind whether or not that actually was porter rockwell because porter rockwell was never charged there, there was never any evidence to bring charges against him. So, yeah. So know. he writes this as though this is just settled and mm -hmm. a fact, and I think he just needs to be a little more tentative about it. Yeah, and you know, at the very least, uh, throw some citations in there, bud. You know, this is yeah. You're gonna you're gonna make things like or make some sort of stance like this, especially you know re when you're talking about rewriting pioneer history, <laughs> uh, rewrite it through the uh, words of those who lived it. So, I mean, it's yeah, out there. Yeah, there's exactly. evidence out there, sure. But I don't see as a historian, that's my big thing: is that yeah. you know, we can introduce these other ideas and that, but mm -hmm. introduce them for what they are. There's, it's you know, yeah. when it's speculation or when there's contradictory mm -hmm. stories or interpretations, yeah, throw that in as well, so that it doesn't mm -hmm. uh, create misinformation. Because it's not like yeah. he was trying to correct misinformation about Pioneer mm -hmm. Day. But it was, I think he introduced some at the same time. Yeah. So. But, you know, th there's certain things that he could have thrown in there that would have been really interesting to me. Like, you know, what was the purpose behind the Mormon battalion joining up with the United States Cavalry uh, riding down to Mexico to fight the, uh, you know, or I guess all they really did was build some roads along the way. They didn't really engage in any battles or, or anything, but, you know, th there might have been something there like, okay, maybe they were just trying to secure uh, their uh, place in the West so that Brigham Young could practice uh, uh, his leadership or uh, governance of the LDS church in a place that was uh, not really controlled by any established government, neither the United States nor Mexico. I mean, that, there could have been something like that put in there. But I, 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 yeah, he was making a few reaches that I just couldn't quite go with him all, all the way there. But it sparked some discussion, hopefully, and mm -hmm. uh, hopefully yeah. people are talking and looking deeper and into and that, so hopefully that's, that's where the truth comes out, isn't it, Debra? <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry. Uh, it's where the truth comes out. Is when we spark discussion, we keep talking about it, we keep digging exactly. into it and looking into it, and that's how we come to it. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, moving on. This uh, gentleman on yourtango.com, this is in the show notes as well, if you want to go and read his article. It says, I was a devout Mormon, but abandoned my religion for my wife. Um, he goes by the name Alex Alexander, but uh, this website or blog, uh, as it is, 
uh, uses that because the author wanted to be anonymous. This was written on July 25th. Um, he was a native of Salt Lake City, and uh, he married a wife who was an agnostic growing up. Um, but he fell in love with her. She fell in love with him. And so she decided to join the church for his sake because that's what he wanted to do was he wanted a temple marriage and she wanted to be married to him. So she knew she had to join the church and, you know, go to the temple in order to get the husband she wanted. So then after 20 years of, uh, trying to make it work, um, she found herself really struggling that she just couldn't, she didn't fit into the uh, typical uh, LDS paradigm. <clears throat> so the poor lady just said, um, I'm afraid I'm just going to have to leave everything behind. <clears throat> Sorry, Deborah. Um, but she, uh, yeah, she ended up leaving her husband after 20 years. And then it only lasted for about a couple of weeks, as, as I recall him writing in the blog. And she came back and said, you know, maybe we can make this work out. Cause boy, I mean, she loves her husband and he loves his wife, but he also loves his church and this church. She just, she tried really hard to fit into it, but didn't feel like she did fit into it. And many times that she tried to raise her concerns or find friends within the church, she really struggled. And I've, my heart just really went out to this poor lady that, you know, I know what it's like to try and uh, cram a square peg into a round hole. It just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. And right. it didn't work for her, but she really wanted to make it work. So her husband ended up saying, well, <coughs> we'll make the marriage work. And we'll just kick the church to the back burner for now. So, yeah, he it, it was a really interesting uh, story to read about something that you don't really hear too much about. It's not really spoken of very openly. But boy, it's interesting to because this is what real life is, and this is this is where it really impacts people in those that don't fit the mold, how it impacts them and their loved ones. Yeah, I, I remember um, throughout my life several times hearing a talk in church where someone will say, "If if you had a choice, if you if you had to either leave the church or leave your wife, um, which would you leave if if you had to make that choice?" And I remember they were always wanting us to, to come around and say, well, I would stay with the church no matter what I would leave my wife. And I remember I went through a period of thinking, well, you know, if I was ever faced with the decision, if I had to leave the church or leave my spouse, I started basing it on, well, it depends on who's doing, who's making me make that decision. If it's the mm -hmm. church, then that's pretty abusive. It was a spouse uh, that was abusive, but then I, I, I've kind of evolved from that as well because I, um, uh, I've just, you know, I think family, because it's not just a, you and your spouse, it's you and your spouse and your children, everybody's affected. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. think, you know, if we're family centered, we need to do all we can to keep our family intact. If it means stepping back, um, what really do we lose? It, it's all part of a journey and mm -hmm. we don't know where that journey is going to end up. And so I think we, um, we don't use, let religion tear us apart. I just don't mm -hmm. think that that's, what what benefit comes from that? You know, I, yeah. I don't see one. If you I, if your relationship's based on love, um, and and you're faced with that choice, then you stay in your marriage and you let the journey just play out. Yeah. And and then in the end, I think you'll 
you'll both be happier. Uh, mm-hmm. You'll both trust each other more. If had he have just said, well, fine, then leave. How would he have benefited really? And how would she? Um, so now they're working it out together and he, and he's showing that commitment that it's his turn now to make the sacrifice. And so it was nice to hear that. And I, I would love to, to talk to have him write a follow-up in a few years. Absolutely. About how this yeah. all, if they're still on the journey, if he's feeling like he's still, might come back or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I just like to see what he has to say about it down the road more than, you know, yeah, a few years from now. For sure. Uh, he's got, uh, I mean, he, he comes from a very steeped Latter-day Saint uh, uh, life where he, he, he does talk about it in there, that there's certain people that their relationship with the more, with uh, the Mormon church or the LDS church, I should say, is uh, such that, um, let's see, you have basically those who are inactive who believe in the church, but don't really have much to do with it. Um, you know, what we might call say a Jack Mormon. Um, and then there's those who they love the church. Um, they like the people, um, but they, you know, they don't necessarily want to be a part of it themselves. And, you know, this is, that that's another thing like there, there's a certain class of people in there that you know maybe they don't uh feel like they want to live up to the standards maybe they like being close to the the uh the people but they don't want to necessarily be that close to the people <laughs> so they don't uh, really associate or go to the church all the time uh and then there's others that are just you know in it with both feet and they <clears throat> they just uh are, are all in and you know, they live, eat, breathe, and drink the church all day, every day. And, uh, you know, this is the kind of family that he grew up in. And so to, you know, to marry uh, someone who comes from a different background than that is really remarkable in and of itself. But then to see him make these changes in his life and adapt uh, where he's coming from and his relationship with the church, because, um, I mean, he's going to have to deal with the backlash of from his own extended family, his parents, his brothers and sisters, his aunts and uncles and cousins. You know, that's just kind of the nature of it. People are going to say, well, how come, how come you're letting your wife lead you away from the church? And he's going to have to deal with that brunt, which, you know, tons of people have to deal with where you have to say, Hey, it's not my wife leading me away from the church. This is a matter of my own personal choice going with my wife even if that means going away from the church. So it's a, it's a tough position to be in. Certainly uh, wish this guy, uh, this anonymous fellow who wrote the article the best, and I absolutely would love to read a, a follow-up uh, as years go by. And uh, our final article, uh, we go back to the Babylon Bee, <laughs> which uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the Babylon Bee, Devery, but they're kind of the, like the onion for Mormonism. <laughs> Yeah, I've, I've uh, I was on their mailing list for a while. Not sure what happened, but it's, mm-hmm. I don't seem to be on it now. But I, uh, uh, yeah, I've, uh, I'm familiar yeah. with it. This article is ten great excuses for not reading your Bible. So um, I'm just going to go right down the list if you don't mind. It's uh, it's it's kind of amusing. Uh, if if it's not anything other than tongue in cheek, it's just kind of funny to listen to. So here's the, some of the best excuses for not reading your Bible. Number one, you just went to church last month and don't want to overdo it because, you know, you don't want to be an extremist. <laughs> Number two, 
it's not as encouraging as your best life now, which is by Joel Olstein's pro uh, by Joel Olstein, his prose is to die for. Uh, three, if you take your eyes off the hot pocket you're microwaving for one second, it might burn, and we all know that. And then you'd be hungry, but God wouldn't want that. Um, four, you've already watched The Chosen. It's so hard to get into a good book if you already know how it ends. Yeah, I can I can see where they're coming from there. Uh, they they watched the movie. Yeah, so. Uh, number five, those five, 900 Korok seeds in Zelda Breath of the Wild aren't going to collect themselves. Finding Korok seeds is a metaphor for finding Christ, probably. <laughs> <laughs> number six, you're Donald Trump and you don't need forgiveness. He has never done anything wrong, ever. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's a possibility. Number seven. <laughs> you're still recovering from the story of Ehud, which I'm not sure if uh, I, I'm sure you're familiar, Devry, with uh, the story of Ehud from the Bible. I believe it comes from, is it Judges or Kings? I, I couldn't look it up before, but yeah, Ehud, the fat king, where uh, the young uh, prophet comes in and stabs him uh, with a, a, a knife. And it's the Ehud, the king is so fat that this knife sinks in and swallows the hilt and the guy's hand, and he has to pull his hand out. It's just disgusting. Enough to give you anyone PTSD, for sure. So uh, Number eight, you misplaced your copy, and new ones are so hard to find. I mean, you have to walk all the way to the back of the Barnes & Noble to get a Bible anymore. Number nine, the Jordan Peterson lecture on Genesis you watched as you covered. Yeah, up yours, woke moralist. We'll see who cancels who from paradise, uh huh? <laughs> and number 10, it's not like the Bible is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work, or anything like that. Because if it were, you definitely meditated on it day and night, right? So, uh, gotta love the Babylon Bee, those guys. <laughs> Uh, you can't take them too seriously, but that's kind of the fun of it is we, we really appreciate them adding some humor to our day. Yeah. Well, my first thought was, you know, there, there are a lot of self-help books out there and you have to go to the Bronze Age and you know, with uh, <laughs> King James English to have a good self-help book these days. Yeah, absolutely right. Well said, Devery. All right. So um, the last uh, bit of this uh, uh, podcast, we are, have a poll out there. Uh, it's available only on Anchor, but the poll this week is, is the word Mormon a major victory for Satan? As we play the outro music, I mean, that's that's exactly the quote that we get from Russell M. Nelson. Um, but uh, here's the, the the questionnaire. So, Debra, I'm going to read these off, and you tell me where your stance is on this. Is the word Mormon a major victory for Satan? One. Fetch no, the thousands of people who joined the church after viewing the expensive worldwide and church-sponsored I'm a Mormon campaign proves it. Number two, absolutely, as Elder David Bednar remarked in May 2022 at the National Press Club luncheon, we can't let this pejorative of our enemies define and destroy our faith. Three, I doubt it. Remember, the prophet Joseph Smith said the word Mormon means more good. Number four. No way. President Thomas Monson was proud to be a Mormon boy, and I am proud to support the Mormon News Roundup. That's right. Number five, you bet. And in order to thwart Satan, we need to immediately change the official name of the Book of Mormon 
to the book of Moroni's dad. Six. I love that one. Heck yes. The word Mormon is basically the same as the (laughs) N-word. Or number seven, with all the suffering in the world, what difference does it make? So of those seven options, where do you stand every? I could pick a few of them out of there. I mean, immediately yeah, me comes too. to mind is with all the suffering, what difference does it make? <laughs> Why make this a big deal? Yeah. Uh, if Satan, um, if it's a victory for Satan, we let him have his way for the first hundred and mm-hmm. uh, 88 years yeah. or 86 years or whatever. And mm-hmm. uh, so, you know, he, he has to, uh, now he has to be retrained or, uh, Mm-hmm. So we've got to work on him too now. So it's just yeah. like easier. Let's let it stay the way it was. And yeah. and he's fine. We're fine. Uh, Mormon's fine. We lived with it. Uh, we had a great campaign um, under Gordon B. Hinckley. Yeah, and but- the thing is about President Nelson too, when he gave that talk in 1984 and mm-hmm. he kind of was, you know, talking about it then and just, you know, then his wife talks about how he always wanted to do these things. And he's now unleashed. Mm-hmm. Um, I just hate the thought of, you know, we, we, we do all this now because someone who's had this pet peeve for decades got yeah. to be unleashed. Huh? Yeah. So, so, so what so next? Uh, Dallin Nate jokes, jokes, we're going to get to his pet peeves and, oh, and, and he's, he makes his known. So that's exactly. Scary. So <laughs> is this just going to be like a, a hierarchy of curmudgeons <laughs> getting to voice their, their, uh, their pet ideas and stuff? I don't know. Uh, but I'll tell you one thing that bothers me is that number two one, when I hear people say that this was a pejorative term that was invented by enemies of the church, I'm like, well, nobody thought up the word Mormon until Joseph Smith published the Book of Mormon. That's that's where the term came from. It's not like Mormon was a, a common word back in 1820s or in yeah, the 1830s even. If they had just called it another testament of, of Jesus Christ then, not as Absolutely. a subtitle, but as the title. As the title itself. I mean, that's you great. Know, Mormon would, would be just like Nephi. It wouldn't yeah. be any more used mm-hmm. or less. <laughs> yeah. It would just be mm-hmm. a character from the. So, yeah, you give the book yeah. that name. We, you know, we open the door for the title, for the mm-hmm. for the nickname we're now don't, yeah. we now don't like. So And then we'd go by something like the Testamenters or the Smithites or something like that. Yeah. Golden Bible was kind of cool, I thought. So. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I mean, life could, or history could have certainly gone a lot differently, could have gone uh, a lot better, could have gone a lot worse too. So I'm just glad to to figure out where we're at. And I'm very glad that uh, Signature Books has uh, been willing to sponsor us and partner with us here and uh, look forward to all the things that are coming uh, down the line from Signature Books. Thank you so much, Devery, for joining us today and for uh, your support. Oh, Happy to support and happy to be here today. So thanks for having me. Yep, and we'll look forward to having uh, D-Bays back again with us uh, next time. And um, I'll go ahead and play us out with our outro music, which is, uh, let's see, Semantics for Satan. I keep calling it Sympathy for Satan, but that's the original Rolling Stone song, but Semantics for Satan. And we'll see you all next week. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, the Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.